Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I am Jigga Bennett. And welcome to episode 105 of the North Meet South web podcast. So just do tests then. Yeah. Just just do it then. It's just the I answer. mean, if you're so stuck on the tests thing, if you're so wanting to do tests, Michael, just freaking do tests. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's that, is, down to. that is the argument that I get. It's, you know, I, I said, you know, I mean, I've been working on this thing and I changed one piece. Sorry, anybody, hey, sorry. Just real quick. Everybody. No, you didn't miss anything. You didn't miss. You're not coming in at the middle of the episode. It's just you're coming into the middle of the conversation. About. <laughs> yes. Yes. You're coming in the middle of the conversation. I was like, let's hit the record button. Okay. Yeah. So, Michael, go. Sorry. So, yeah, we were talking about how we can bring in, you know, test and composer and, and modern stuff. And, uh, you know, you, you were coming up with a game plan and I said the game plan only works if there yep. is a will- willingness to, to do any of this stuff. And and that's the, the tricky yeah, bit I'm into. Just, and so, yeah. you know, I have, I was told the other day, you know, if you want to write some tests, just write some tests, which is a, a little right. bit tricky sure. because we don't have mm-hmm. like a, a destructible, reproducible test environment. Like there's no environment. You can't, you can't build it up. The, there is no development database. There's no local database. There's no migrations. There's, there's no notion of any of this kind of stuff. So you can't just build up the world yeah, just to, right. to run your test and then tear it down. So running any of the tests yeah, so means I was... querying the actual database and, you know, right, sending right. real... Ah, okay, you know. okay. I see what you're saying. And and so, the, you know, I was, like I was told no... the other day, like, we don't have any objection to tests. If you want to write tests, just write some tests. And I said, well, it's not... Yeah. It's not quite that simple because you can't really unit any test of your this kind of stuff. non-trivial stuff yeah. is going to... Yeah. yeah. Well... I mean, so that's that's kind of like what my approach was. So like, okay, as I was thinking through like, all right, what's, uh, you know, what what's the thing? Uh, I remember that like the project we had, that was a legacy project. We were like, okay, it was a code igniter project. And so we're like, okay, well, how do we, we're going to like get Composer working on this, mm-hmm. which wasn't the end of the world because it was sort of almost there anyway. Mm-hmm. So we got Composer because that's sort of like the first thing, right? It's like, what what's actually really beneficial is getting in like composer as like an auto loader to be able to pull in libraries. Now I understand that there are like old libraries that you could use. Like there are previous, previous, previous versions that would operate on the PHP version that you're running on. Mm -hmm. Maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe, but if you could get composer installed, at least then you could get PHP unit installed. And then the idea would be to just get your first unit test written. Just that's it. Like that would be, yeah, that's the goal. Like, by the end of first quarter of next year to have one unit test yeah. written, mm-hmm. you know, it's probably going to take that long. Yeah. I mean, like, literally, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it's like, um, yeah. How hard would it be to get a composer in there just to, to, I don't know. I mean, yeah. thinking through the architecture for yourself, like how difficult would it be to get that in there? Cause you kind of have already wrote your own auto loader, right? Yeah. Yeah. The auto loader is the, you know, the trivial part whether you're using because composer obviously gives you the binary which then gives you not obviously composer gives you the binary which gives you the ability to access packages through packages and through git repositories and things like that based in your composer.json and then file. all you do is you just require the autoload.json or the autoload the PHP, thing, yeah. right i mean yeah. that's it basically yeah. yeah which is essentially what we have right it's just autoload.php which gets required at the top of the the front controller so the index.php yep. And then it, you know, yep, if it, yep. if you try, if you try and use a class in a namespace, then it will try and resolve that namespace to a directory, and then find the file, and then require it, which is right. at the end of the day what Composer yes, boils down to. Yep. Yeah. So you know that that's that's the easy bit, bringing in packages and things like that. We don't really need to to worry ourselves about too much for for this, but 
you know, running PHP unit means you have to kind of scaffold out the world. And for those of you who haven't done this outside of Laravel, we're very spoiled in the Laravel world because you just run the test and, and everything just works as yep, you'd expect. And you've me. got the you've got the HTTP testing layer and you've got the, the unit testing layer and you've got access to your database and you've got migrations and seeders and all of this kind of stuff where if you have just a plain PHP project, you don't have any of that. So then you you want to start unit testing, but then how do you connect your databases and, and where do you, you know, how do you swap out those things and, and all of that kind of stuff. There's no HTTP testing layer. You can't just fire up like a fake request and then start making get requests to that endpoint to see that there's some HTML output or whatever. So it's a it's a tricky proposition to to do that kind of stuff. So can we talk can we talk about this a little bit? Because I literally don't know how PHP unit works under mm-hmm, the hood. Mm-hmm. No idea. Couldn't tell you. So do you know how it works under the hood? I've got a rough idea. Um so okay. you, you know you've got that that PHP unit.xml file which you never touch yep, sure. in a Laravel project. Well more or less. sometimes I do. I mean you, I you put an environment it. file yeah. in, uh, an environment variable in there and then I tell you off for putting it in there because it doesn't belong in there. <laughs> So where do okay? So let's let's pause on that for a second. Where do you put your environment variables? Do you put them in like an env.testing uh-huh. sort of deal? Yeah. So for all, yeah, any of my any of my local stuff is env.testing. Okay. Anything that I'm changing, like if I've got my own set of Stripe keys, or I'm using hello, and you're using, um, you know, Mailhog or something, like any of that kind of stuff goes sure. into your env.testing. Yeah. The only thing that I put into the PHP unit the XML file is things that don't vary between test environments. So you always want to set your bcrypt rounds to, you know, four or whatever it is or one. Um okay, you, you always um you always want to use the I don't know, the, the, there's very few things is what I'm saying that that would go in there that So like don't I typically change. would have like let me go look real quick. I typically have things like um the database that we're going to use. So I'll use like you know, we're always going to typically test using this and then we're going to use it in memory mm-hmm. and then, you know, depending. I mean, some apps we do that. Sort of more and more of them, we're actually getting away from that because it doesn't have like feature parity with uh, actual MySQL, which is what's being used. So let me mm-hmm. just look one. I have bcrypt rounds, mm-hmm. cache driver, session driver, queue connection, mail mailer, DB connection, telescope enabled, broadcast driver. Yeah. Those are sort of the ones that I have in there. Yeah, um, and those are essentially the ones that just come in the PHP unit to XML from a okay. from a vanilla okay. Laravel install, and those are the kinds of things. Like, gotcha. Typically, you know, you're not going to be testing against an actual queue. You're just going to be using sync in your test, right? In mm-hmm. in CI, Indeed. you might want to override that because you might want to test against a real Redis instance, because there are there are some things that you might not pick up when you're doing things in sync against the queue that that happen, you know, in in an actual Redis instance, for sure. example. So um, in so in CI in that case, would you then just in your CI you would just set the ENVs on there to override these PHP unit the XML ones, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I I try and avoid putting anything in the the PHP unit the XML file unless I you know really don't want it to change very often. Um, okay. Because I'm I'm fairly sure, but I could be wrong that the in the hierarchy of like environment variables, PHP unit the XML is is the like one of the highest priority ones. So mm-hmm. it will take precedence over some of the other places you can set. I think I'm pretty sure. I've I, you know I've run into issues with it before anyway. So yeah, I usually just have the env.testing, and then that's usually up to date with the env.example, and and then that makes things a, a little bit easier to to kind of go forward with. So, but the the thing that you'll notice right at the top of this file, it's not even there anymore. The PHP unit one. 
Yeah, right at yeah, right at the unit right at the top of the PHP unit.xml file in the PHP unit mm-hmm. attribute, you'll see that there is a bootstrap. And that bootstrap is vendor autoload. Yep. Right. And so that Which is composer, right? Which is composer. So that gets everything spun up. Yeah. Um and then your your base test case, which then inherits from the the framework test case, which does all the setup and gets everything ready. You've got the creates application trait, um, which then bootstraps the 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 framework for you so it does a app equals bootstrap app and then app make kernel bootstrap and then returns the app instance so all of that essentially spins up your laravel application in the same way that that hitting it in the browser would do so that you can then make you know requests to the http and you can make connection calls to the database and things like that and and you've got the the refresh database trait that will spin up the you know to migrate your database and and write write to that and make sure that the database is always available and things like that. And you can tear it down. You can and you can run a thousand tests and and you know you've got that isolation of your of your database. But you know when you don't have that, when you have a legacy application that doesn't have migrations and it doesn't have the ability to just spin up and tear down an environment, there's there's a whole lot of stuff that needs to go into it. So you know the 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 just write a unit test kind of thing is a bit of a cop out because it's not. Oh, for sure it is. We're not, yeah, we're no, not even, no doubt it is. We're not even, um, not, and I'm not saying you, uh, you know, you saying it is a cop out. It's just when, when I got this, when I was told this last week, I'm like, well, there's a, there's a whole lot of work that, that goes into getting your application into a state that it can be testable if, if yeah. it's, you know, this kind of legacy. And so, um, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, like, I wouldn't even know where to begin to, to get all of this stuff working. Like, because we've got a, a very UI heavy application, and, and what I started to say before was, you know, I went and changed this bit, and then some other part of the UI broke. But like, none of that would be captured by unit tests anyway, because it's all stuff that's happening in the browser, mm-hmm. um, right? Exactly. Which is where something like you know, Dusk or Cypress or whatever, where you could hit the browser and and actually click around and and do things and make sure that like when you do this, this happens and this happens and that happens, is is a lot trickier, especially when you don't have the ability to kind of build the world to to establish that test and and, and do all that kind of stuff. So. It's a, it's a, it's only a frustrating kind of thing, and it's like, it was funny. I was watching Morning Wars the other day, and Reed tells me I'm very bad for for equating myself with a <laughs> with a female person of color in this way. But I said it, it's not about <laughs> like, it's not about equating myself with a with a female person of color. It's equating myself with that situation where you know that struggle. Uh, sure, same maybe. same thing plus Asian woman equals different, right? But and in which case, like, take out the fact that it's Asian woman. It's, you know, new person, new developer, add business, do same thing as everything before it equals is is different kind of thing. Um, and it's like just come in and like add new features, but don't don't change anything about the environment, don't change anything about the way we work, don't change anything about the application, like that kind of stuff. And you know, it's not a totality of don't change anything because I have changed quite a bit of stuff. Um, it's just, it's a slow going grind to get things to the point where all of this ideal situation, the ideal world where you've got a test environment that you can spin up and tear down whenever you need to, and you can just run tests over and over and over again without worrying about, you know, hitting a production database or, or sending like an SMS to a, to a real phone number and things like that, because everything is so tightly coupled together. It was built, you know, it was built as a functional application that you know write this code make sure it works ship it and and that's it move on to the next feature so 
So can you currently run it on your local machine, though? Is that possible? No, you cannot. I mean, technically, technically, I'm not even allowed to export the code from the development server. Technically. Mm, Well, that seems like a... Yeah, that's the challenge then, I guess. Um, So a lot of this is Do you guys have a QA server or do you have like a... There is a... Yeah, I mean, that is maybe something we could take on too. There is is a staging server. Um, The staging server that... And so does the QA... Do you have like a QA team that looks at it before it goes to production? We Like our code review process does involve someone going through and, and clicking through and they're like, what you need to do is open up the current live website and compare the behavior of the current live website against the changes that you have made and make sure that everything that was there before is still there now. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm adding new functionality. How do I compare like that new functionality with what's there before? That's what the automated test suite would do for you, wouldn't it? It would verify that everything that was already there before still works and the stuff that you have added also works as you expect it to work. So it's that kind of banging one's head against the wall scenario where there is you know it's just it's just this uh uh snake chasing its own tail kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah this is something I'm, I'm having to teach a little bit too so like um our newest developer shout out jimmy hey jimmy um jimmy jimmy he's actually going through the spassy uh test testing laravel course mm-hmm, thing mm-hmm. and i'm testing laravel adam wathen did that too but like I know Spassi has a new testing course. Yeah. And in one of, uh, I think it was a recent PR, uh, we had like, maybe there was, I'm trying to remember, something happened. And it wasn't, I don't think it was that he didn't write the code yet. I think maybe I was just jumping in and showing him like, this is how I would do it. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing that we did was we reproduced the error, right? It's like, hey, let's let's find out what happened because we're not exactly sure what happened here, right? So how did this break? Now we got an error in Sentry. What happened? And then let's make that happen again yeah. so that we can be sure. Let's get the same exact error. Okay, so let's try and run this export. Okay, here we go. All right, it's not the error we got. What happened here? Oh, okay, that's the error we got. We we didn't put a finished at timestamp on this timesheet. And so it's trying to get the all the items that were worked from the time they started till the time they end, but there is no end. That's what happened. That's why it's breaking. It's trying to call format on null. Mm-hmm. Okay, now it's broken. Great. Now we have our test read, right? Now that we have our test red, let's try and fix it. And now that we fixed it, now it should be green. All right, now that we've got it green, let's clean up the code to make it look what we want it to look like. Okay, now we can be sure that this particular error will never happen again, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, could we have written the code without that? Yes, probably. I, I actually you know, had it figured out before we even did it. Like, I knew what the error was happening. Yeah. I knew how it was happening. So some of it was having to figure out like how do I break it in the same way? How can I write code in my test that breaks it in the same way? Uh, just so I can make sure that it doesn't happen again, right? But this is, I'm sure, something that you guys have dealt with before. And it's like some of it isn't even like you can't make it, you can't say how much time are you wasting on it because some of it's just like fraught with like angst and like mm-hmm. this anxiety that you have around change because you never know if you broke something sometimes mm-hmm. until like 10, you know, 10 weeks later and then somebody complains about it. It's like, oh, that's right. I swear our phone provider is the same way. Mm. Like our, we use LiveVox and holy cow, like I can't tell you the number of regressions I'm sure that we've found on their behalf because they have no tests, Mm -hmm. like stupid things. Like they switched the format of their voicemail recordings so that it, when this was a fun one to figure out, it reads like, it'll say, (laughs) what does this do? Oh, I know what it does. It'll say, you received this on 
Let me see if I can get this right. January 9th. Like on the first of the month, that'll say, you received this email, you received this voicemail on January 9th. It's like, how is that possible? And then the next day, it's, you received this on February 9th. <laughs> and then March 9th, right? And people are like, our, our people are freaking out. Like, how am I going to get a voicemail from February 9th? Like, how is mm-hmm. it just showing up in my box? Like, this is terrible. Like, you got to tell them that there's something wrong. Oh my gosh, now I got an email. Now I got a voicemail from March. Mm-hmm. What is happening with the system? And then it's like, next day was April, then May, then June, then July, then August, then September, right? Until... Until they got to the 13th month and then it all fell Until you apart. get to the 13th. And then it's like, oh, wait, then it would actually, then it would actually correct itself, mm-hmm. right? It would correct itself because it would, their parse function mm-hmm. would realize, oh, wait, there aren't 13 months. It must be in a different format than what we think. Oh, it is. And so then halfway through the month or 13 days into the month, it all switches to correct. It's like, these are the types, these are the types of things that like tests would fix, yeah. right? You would make sure that this is never going to happen again. Oh. But it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's super valuable. But I think, Michael, you're like, you're like you, you know, you have to, it only works if people are willing to do it. It's like, before you do anything, you almost have to convince them of like the why, like, what is the reason why? Like, you have to come up with good enough arguments or yeah. good enough examples to say, hey, this thing that broke over here that you guys didn't change anything about that, you know, that the feature you were working on had nothing to do with. Um, that's what tests would fix. You yeah. Know, that's what would happen. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I mean, that that's my biggest thing at the moment is just trying to figure out how to because you know i've I've been in a situation where i've come into businesses like this before and it's been you know go and fix go and modernize go and make it easy to onboard like all of that stuff that that we know but i've never been in a business where i've had to do all of that kind of stuff but also yep. then fight the business to to introduce it you know in in previous places it's always been go and do what you need to do to to bring us up to scratch whereas now it's like mm, we don't want to change anything um <laughs> and look to be to be fair they they are slowly 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 like oh it seems like you guys are making progress like, actually like titanic no, like, like titanic good. heading towards iceberg you know yep that kind of course correction yep. i have gotten to the point where i'm kind of like just doing stuff and then presenting it rather than trying to fight it out first i'd be like okay yeah because sure. it's it's it occurs to me that i think they learn better by example simply because mm-hmm. if I talk in concept, you know, in things that we take for granted as object-oriented one-on-one kind of stuff, they don't understand that kind of stuff. You know, the, the basics of what I would call modern development in PHP. So, I... I so, here's a question for you. Mm. Go ahead. No. What was the question? I was gonna say, I was gonna say, um, it would be funny if you were like, guys, I, I made this new thing, and you know we had an auto loader, an auto loader, but I just figured it'd be nice if we just gave it a name. So I just called it Composer, right? Like maybe they wouldn't even know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They'd be like, oh, this is a great idea. Okay, but here's what I was actually thinking about, because um, going along with that idea of like, you know, we we kind of went a little bit down the path of like PHP unit, but. One of the first things you pointed out is that vendor slash autoload.php, that's that's PHP, that's a composer right there, right? So mm. um, you can, in addition to your manual autoloader that you guys have going, you could also have the composer autoloader separately, secondarily. Mm. You know what I mean? You could have a second require. And then could you not 
do what you're kind of already doing, which is like just introducing slowly the idea of certain things. So could you say, well, I only have one new thing that I'm pulling in, but it is going to auto load using vendor slash auto load. And I'm going to unit test that thing, Mm. that one thing, Mm. right? Could you say this PHP unit is going to run our vendor slash auto load, but it only contains tests that are, or, you know, classes that are able to be tested using PHP unit, Mm. right? Could you do something like that? Would that be possible? Even if you just said, guys, we're just doing this as an experiment. If you have something that is just a little unit test, like it's just performing, you know, it's taking an input and expecting an output. And maybe you have some private methods in there, Mm -hmm. but you're not going to test the private methods. You're just going to test an input and an output. Mm -hmm. Here's a unit test. Mm -hmm. This is what a unit test looks like. And by the way, you can, it's really cool because you can do it like this. You can say, here's my expected input. Here's my expected output. And then any of the code that you write could be whatever you want. As long as those tests pass, you're all Mm -hmm. good. And now Mm -hmm. you don't have to like, you don't have to test anything every single time. Mm Because that's like, you know, it's what it's var dump. It's it's whatever. How are they doing those little iterations? What's the feedback loop, Painfully. right? So if you could kind of get them bought into like mm-hmm. that, that whole like little baby tiny steps, yeah. unit tests, yeah, that might be interesting. Yeah, I mean, and that's certainly one consideration. But at the end of the day, until you have an environment that it's safe to do that in, and and by that I mean you know you're not talking to a production database and you can sort of spin up, uh-huh. and I you know it's Unit testing is is all fine, like testing specific parts, but getting inputs into those methods where a lot of that input comes from a database is tricky mm-hmm. when you don't have a database available yep. to you in a you know in a safe manner. So I don't I certainly want to 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 kind of do that, but I also have to kind of work a little bit within the constraint of of the you know the the business environment, the, the kind of macro environment, as opposed to the, as opposed the to just, uh, yeah, yeah, as opposed to you. just the code kind of thing. So it's a it's a process. Like uh, they 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 kind of come along for the ride sometimes. Um, they 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 kind of bought into the autoloader stuff. They're like, oh, this is much better than this file. That every time we add a class, you have to go and add well, another good. include that's in there and, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So it does mean. In fact, we don't even have to go back and, and namespace everything because I've set the autoloader up in such a way that like if it gets a class that doesn't have a namespace that it knows that it needs to go and look where the old classes were. So there's there's that which which sort of gets us over that hump as well. So yeah, it's just a, it's just a, a long game, I think, in terms of balancing doing the new stuff whilst also trying to, you know, keep doing the feature work and 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 this is where it becomes tricky because you're you're adding to the existing muck without getting too much time to kind of turn it around and i don't like we've talked about the strangler pattern before where you know bring bring in just think about that Mm -hmm. bring in laravel and then have that you know and sort of slowly start choking out some of the the legacy stuff, you know, if you have to go into a file, you know, rewriting it such that, okay, we're going to make this endpoint instead of going through like the existing controller, create a new PHP, you know, a new Laravel controller with new new endpoints in a route and then just route the traffic through there kind of thing. So, but there's, there's all this stuff, all of this code that's in like 
a shared location on a server. There's like all of the the security type stuff that I don't don't have access to. So I don't. So sometimes mm. I'll like code myself into a corner because I've broken something that I can't see. Um, oh, but that's tough. And, and and like so that's a whole that's a whole other thing. That's just a. Do you want to talk about that at all? No, I like don't. The, the motivations <laughs> behind that? No, no. Okay. it's it's um it not worth it. I I kind of get it, but it's it's also not really worth going into. It just let's just let's just no say that it it it's all part of the the um you know this is the way it's all always work kind of thing. And and this is what I'm usually up against is like we've been doing this for X number of years and it's got us this far and, and it's, it's worked and it's worked exactly. and it's so worked. you know yep. and and that that's fine and and there's like. Was, who was I listening to? I was I think it was the uh um the bike shed podcast. Uh which okay. is which yep. is like they're a Ruby focused podcast, which is uh they're they're from the Thought Bo- Thoughtbot folks, um Chris Chris Termi and Steph Vicari. And they were talking about um, you know, you don't need to bring in layers of like process, you just need to trust your people kind of thing. And mm-hmm. and they were talking about it in the context of um, you know, git commits. But I think I think the underlying message is is similar like don't put in process and like shim over git like we do and like hide code from your developers because of you know fears that that really honestly are unfounded in any any of the experience that i've had outside of like this specific business yeah i've been in iso certified businesses in you know in businesses where we have compliance constraints and where you know, we have to do police checks and all that kind of stuff where I've had a lot more visibility over bits of the business than, you know, and it, and it's, and it's funny coming into, into this place where they're very um, conservative in that, in their approach on that. So yeah, it's mm. a, it's a, it's a learning thing for sure. Um, but yeah. Just push through it. Push through it. Hey, so we can uh, we can change topics a bit and still talking about testing, but we talked about this a little bit with cedars. Mm-hmm. Cedars in tests, right? So same similar situation, right? I was uh, coding with uh, our our new dev. Shout out, Jimmy. <gasps> Michael, you got to do it. There we go. Thank you. What's that from, by the way? That must be know. from something. I feel like it's a no. no I, I like it might be from something. Uh, I feel like it. If it was something specific, it'd be like a. Christopher Walken, Jimmy, and that was a really bad Christopher Walken, but you know something, Jimmy. something like that, Jimmy. Uh, there you go. Um, Caleb and Daniel do it better. They do. They so do. Sorry, <laughs> a, everybody. A a, 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 a like a, a Christopher Walken or or a, or a you know a Jersey thing or something like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was reviewing some of his code, and in one of his tests. He had category, so like yeah, in one of his tests, he had uh, category first, right? And so I was like, hmm, well, I didn't, I didn't see a factory creating a category in here. So like, where's, where's the category coming from? He's like, oh, I've got some cedars running. It's like, oh, okay, okay. And so my first impression was, no, we're not going to do that. We don't do that. We don't run cedars for our tests. And then I was like, well, I mean, should we run cedars for our tests? And so I, I said, okay, I, I threw it out to the cash money telegram guys. And I was like, should we like, do you guys run cedars for your tests? And your response was, are you kidding? 
like David Hempel has an entire talk about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, really? I've so it's number one, I've not seen that talk, which sorry, David, my bad. I apologize. And sorry, Laracon Australia, mm-hmm. my bad. Um, but uh, but I haven't seen it. And so, you know, I think that maybe what I missed was, and you can tell me a little bit about it if I'm, if I'm way off, but there are situations where you have to set up a world, right? You have to set up the world. So like, for example, then ping me maybe. So you have like a user and then a user has a subscription and then they have uh, they, cause they have to have a subscription in order to have a project. And then in that project, they have a um, task and in that task, they have a ping and that ping has a check-in and then you need to test something about the second check-in that says that it's done, right? Okay, it would be ridiculous if for every single test that you're wanting to test about that, that you had to do all of that factory work. That'd be ridiculous, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't make any sense at all. Why would you do that, right? And so um, in that case, would it be appropriate to run like a Cedar class? Possibly. Possibly. I think for me, what I would do in that situation is I'd probably refactor that sort of setup to like a private method or have, I mean, I think there are packages out there for this too, where you almost have like user stories, if you will, right? Where you have, and I know Caleb and Daniel have talked about this about, uh, for a long time ago as well, but like this idea of like, we have the specific scenario that we want to set up and then we're going to do a bunch of tests from that scenario, right? And so I get that aspect. Um, I guess I just... I've never run a cedar and been like, yeah, this is needed for every single test ever. Um, now, in this particular instance, Jimmy, Jimmy. Was, um, he was preloading or seeding these categories, right? And these categories are sort of needed a lot. And um, I guess it doesn't necessarily make sense to have to create them every single time. But I think the bigger thing that sort of caught me out was... I remember Jason McCurry being like, yeah, like you should keep the majority of the things that you're testing in the test itself, right? And so for me, it just sort of seemed like invisible. Like I don't know what that category first is. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what that is. And so down the road, maybe my, my, my cedar, my factory, whatever it is, what the cedar is being generated with factories, maybe it generates something that I don't know what that category is, right? Maybe there's an active flag that's set to true by default. Right. Mm-hmm. And I am trying to test something that's false, whatever. Like that, that's, I think the part that seemed weird to me. I was like, I don't, I don't know what category first is. I have no visibility into that unless I go into the cedar to check that out. Mm-hmm. Would that be a concern for you? Like, do you, sh- do you understand what I'm yeah. getting at? Would that be a concern for you? No. So I think, <clears throat> I think we, we, we tackle this in, in two parts. The, the first being like the categories, anything, anything like that that kind of means the application doesn't function unless it's there. I would, I'd be putting into migrations anyway, as part of like, sure. Migrations are oh okay typically for, you know, building up your, your database schema, but also anything okay. that is required by your application to function. I'd typically put into a migration as well. Now, whether do, do that as a separate migration, well, you know, it depends on, yeah. on what it is. Like if it's categories and there's like five of them, then yeah, I'll just put it, you know, mm-hmm. create the table and then insert directly in there. If it's... Right if afterwards, it's, like in the same... So like you'd have like yeah. a create categories table mm-hmm. and that would just seed it at the same time? Yeah. Yep. And just okay. like 
Um, I, I've seen in um, some of the stuff that, that Flakes put out where they've got cedars that the the up method is just calling a pending object. And so it's like this create table, this migrate old data, this migrate data, this whatever, and it's all just chained together. And so each of those methods is responsible. So at least you've got a named hierarchy there of like what each of those things is doing and so that you don't have a giant method of, you know, doing 10 different things in there. If it gets big enough, I would extract that, you know, you could have a category cedar and then just call, you know, this seed or, or artisan seed or whatever from within the migration. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm, I've always been of the belief that like if, if the application does not run without some data, then that's part of the migration. Because okay, that's fair. You know, I, I think cedars, cedars are easy yeah. to run, but it's also easy to forget to run them. And you yeah, know, I, unless you've got some kind of like setup script or something like that, that you know that does run the migrations and does see the database and all that kind of stuff, is very easy to forget to run cedars. Um, but in the context of like specific setup, then yeah, you've that. That's where I would draw the line. Like the, as I said, the categories. The application doesn't function without the categories, and the categories are kind of fixed in in the context of of the application. Then sure, migration. Um, if they're user generated, then no. Um, Which these are, yeah. Which is, I think that was the other. My I was like, uh, I don't know that these are always going to be. They're not fixed. Like so, like for me, a fixed set of data. Like I have, I have some of these where I'll have like some data associated with all the states in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Right. But I have to have all the states in there. Like there's just there's always going to be all 50 of them in there. And that's never going to change. That's mm-hmm. not user generated. It's just static. Right. But I'm going to select it from a database. Yep. Um, and so those would be ones that I'd say, yeah, go ahead and fill those in. Mm-hmm. Right. That's always going to be there. Um, but not the case with categories in this in this particular yeah. instance. But I like the idea of using migrations to do what you're talking about. So mm-hmm. good point on that. OK, but sorry. But been in there in the context of like that SATA, that scenario. If it's being reused over and over again, then a, a good named cedar is probably fine. Um, you know, and we've got them in the, as you said, in the Zen Pingme code base. We've got like user with active project cedar. We've got user with pending project cedar. We'll we'll link to David's presentation from Laracon where he's got like a whole section talking about feature tests that are powered by database cedars and just taking all that kind of stuff out. So you know, at the top of the test method, like this is running a cedar that does this well-named thing user with active projects here so we know that we're getting a user with an active project and extract that out so that your tests you know can be focused on uh the you know a range act um assert you know that three-step flow mm-hmm. assuming that, yep. I got also that, with right that yeah so in the test though you're saying like in the setup method that's where you would say we're running this cedar. So it's well, it's kind of transparent this is the cedar that's getting run mm-hmm. i mean it, it depends you know does I, if, if you've got a test that's focused, focused specifically around that particular behavior, around that category, it's, like you yeah. might put mm-hmm. it in the setup. Yeah. If, you know, you want to, if you're happy just seeding and, you know, because using the refresh database trait in Laravel, it will run everything in a transaction. So you could seed it, run the test that will get rolled back at the end of that test and then and do it again. Like if you need it for one or two tests, then just do it in the in the test method itself. If you need it for every single test in a file, then yeah, put it in the setup, sure. Or or in the you know, uh, the setup means it'll be there and it'll be you know fixed for the duration of that that test file. Um, before each, we'll obviously do it for each one. So you know, it's context dependent there on on whether you need it to just be there or if you if you're happy to sort of you know see that and, and spin it down. I know that at my last job, 
the the original tests that were there when when I started, they seeded data into the database, but they made assertions around the IDs. So they assumed that the first test uh, mm. that ran would insert a record with ID of one, and the second one would be two, and so it would do that. But then, oh no, sorry, it, it, it would assert that like this ID of one is there, and then the next test would assert that ID of one is there. But then when we started using Laravel for our test suite, that was started to break down because it would run transactions. Transactions will insert yes. and roll the data back, but it doesn't reset the order increment. Exactly. So the next time, ID one was actually ID three or whatever because you know we we've done multiple inserts in there. So interesting, yeah. The, you know, sure. there's there's those considerations to be made, and so you know, making assertions against order incrementing IDs is generally not a good idea because they can change, especially in, in the context of, of a, a transactionally, transactionally, you know, run Aware. test suite. Yeah, sure. You know, the IDs will change. So, you know, you might have like a category first, may not always, depending on how the seed is done, you know, could be, could be something different. Um, you could use firstware, you know, firstware name is the specific thing that you're looking for so that you know that you're always getting that thing and that that might... Or you could just use the variable returned from that. So like if you're creating a user, then you just do later in your test user arrow ID, yeah. whatever, right? Yep, yep. So. Yeah. so, okay. So like what we would say is if there's data that is is required for the application to function, you should probably just put that into the migration itself. And then whenever you run refresh database, mm-hmm. it's going to run your migrations and therefore it will be in there. So no cedar needed. Mm-hmm. If you have specific scenarios that you're trying to test and it's a complex setup, you could extract that to a cedar and then run that cedar specifically in the method of the test that you're going to be testing. Mm-hmm. Or if it's going to be for a class, you could set that up in the setup method or you could just continue to use factories in line if mm-hmm. it, if the setup is not that complex for the particular thing that you're trying mm-hmm. to that you're trying to create. Yeah. Okay. Um, here is one other thing that I thought was interesting. This happens on a, on occasion, um, where, for instance, I would have I'm going to change the schema of the database, and I'm going to add something like I have a category name that was previously on a timesheet. And instead of having a name, I actually want to associate the ID of the category, right? So I want to have the category ID in there rather than the category name. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to write a little console command that's going to say, hey, go grab the first category that has the name that's in the name column and grab the ID of that category and put it into the category ID column. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Pretty simple. Okay, so that, that, and then we have like a command that we say in the pull request, we say, run the command that is chronos colon associate category id mm-hmm. with timesheet right we have that okay so in the in the um so we deploy it then we run that command and there you go and now you have to write a, another request or another pull request to take that console command out and then to remove the column name yep. right okay fair enough that's fine what would you think about doing something like that in a migration? I mean, it sort of seems like that would be the correct spot for it, right? I mean, and then what you can see is there was a point in time at which the category name was used, but then we migrated to using category ID. Mm-hmm. And I can see how we migrated from one to the other. And then afterwards, you could literally drop out the category name column straight in there. And then you don't have to remove it afterwards. And it's never going to run again. Yeah. And you wouldn't have to say in your in your pull request hey run this after you deploy the code mm-hmm. it would just run when the migrations run not to mention no not to mention in like three months or six months or tomorrow when someone else pulls down that code 
where that data is based on the migra- the original migrations and you have now removed that that migratory oh, console command. Oh, true, yes. Now, now your test environment doesn't match what's what your actual final state of application code is. So, yeah, definitely put that in the, in the migration. And this is, you know, I said Freik had that thing where they, they migrated the ODEA code base from Spark uh-huh. V1 to Spark V2. And that was basically, you know, the up method was this do... I'll see if I can find it. It was, it was well, well put together. I mean, it totally makes sense. I've never done it that way before, mm. but it totally makes sense. Like that it's not, you know, these sort of like throwaway, you're only going to do this once. Mm-hmm. Like you only need to do this once. But I mean, but it's specifically everyone, dealing with the database. Yeah, but everyone yes. needs to do it once. So in this Correct. thing, the, the up yes. method was just a, a chain of of calls. So it was this create new tarot, t- create new tables, arrow drop unused tables, arrow create subscription tables, arrow update teams tables, update invoice tables, drop old columns, Drop all columns from invoice tables, and these I need things. Need you to send this to me. Uh, I'll, I'll send it to you, and I'll put it in the show notes. But it'd probably be better for discussion purposes if you if you have what I'm looking at. Yes, that would be helpful. So yeah, create new tables. We just go and create any new tables. So you know, it will drop an existing receipts table if it needs to, and then it will recreate the receipts to receipts table with the, the new columns. It will create the tax rates tables. Um, you know, it's it's going through and renaming columns from whatever the old values were to the new values. But if you um, there's a, a migrate subscription data as a separate migration, which then migrates the subscription data and drops the old subscription table. So this takes all of the, the data from the old team subscriptions table and then uh, migrates this that data perfect. into the, the, the new subscriptions table. And it takes the old subscription team subscription items table and takes all of that data and migrates that to the new subscription items table and then drops this the old things. Exactly what I needed. Yes. Um so, you know, this this kind of stuff is 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 what I'm talking about where your the 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 data has to get from one state to another state and the console command is good for that one snapshot in time against production. But as you said, you're you're creating a pull request to add this thing that says run this console command and then there's another pull request that then removes that. Well, that's just gone from your, you know, it's in git history. But it's gone exactly. from the collective gone, knowledge right. of the of yep. the the known current state of your application because now, anytime you run the migrations, you're expecting your local development environment to match that of production. It ain't the case. Now, depending on whether or no, not you, is, so you have data in the database, like it might not matter that you're not migrating the old category information to the new format because there's nothing to right. migrate, but. You know, assuming that you have seeded that data at some point in the past, and then you know, and then things start getting out of sync. So, uh, the one-off, the one-off console commands, um, I I wouldn't use for that purpose. Now, okay, so so fair. I like this. This is really interesting, and I like this idea. I like this concept. Having said that, maybe the last thing, and then we can start wrapping up because we are at about forty-three minutes here. This does mean, so Frank has, let's see how many are there. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different migrations here. And of the ones that I'm counting, the ones that are saying model colon colon each and then looping over them, there's one, two, three, four, four that I count. And then, um, you know, there's a bunch of other ones where we're creating and dropping and doing all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, so fine. But like, isn't that, aren't your tests going to get rather slow if you're doing that on every single 
test, right? Doing all of these things, right? So, you know, after they would do something like this, would they keep all this in there? Maybe, but would they maybe afterwards do like that MySQL.dump that maybe. you can generate from Laravel? I mean, that the, would the migrations are only say, okay. The migrations only one runs per test. Um, the stuff that it's migrating, they they probably don't have this user generated content in there. So it's not like they're moving a whole heap of of active records every time they're they're migrating the database. Sure. It's gonna just require four more it's gonna require four database queries mm-hmm. every time you migrate. Yeah. And if you're doing a, a you know a schema dump and then you're rolling all that up, like that's gonna be basically instant in the in the scheme of things anyway. But like I said, you, the, the migrations True. get run once per test. They're not you know they're not hugely it's slow not to, to do it. And and your your development database is generally not going to have hundreds or thousands of of records in there yep, anyway. So, um, yeah, yep. I think I think manipulation of data, like, and that's the key. You're migrating data, and so when you're migrating data from one format to another, or if you're moving it from one table to another, or if you're, you know, moving string category names from one table and and putting them into a lookup table and then updating the the references. Then yeah, that's that's migration behavior. Not, not. Yep. And, and and as I said, the key there is like you run it once against production and then and remove that console command. Well, then then you start running the risk. And it, like again, contextual. It may be that you are only migrating user generated content, and so it doesn't really matter that it's not part of your migration because you won't have that user generated content that needs migrating anyway as long as you have the migration mm-hmm. responsible for updating the format of the database. But, you know, it's 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 good to have there in your migrations because at least you can guarantee that if there happens to at some point be data there that, that needs to be in the database to, to function, then you know that it's going to be migrated to the current state. So, True story. Like it. Dude, that's some good stuff there, man. That's some good stuff. I learned some new things today. Thank you, Michael. Excellent. Hopefully our listeners will send also. Me the, send me the invoice. Yeah. Send me the invoice. Appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Episode 145. Is that what this was? 105. 105. Oh, 145. I jumped about 40. <laughs> I jumped I jumped two fortnights worth. Is that right? 20? No. 20? No? How much is a Fortnite's Fortnite? 14. 14. Darn it. I didn't do that. <laughs> I knew that. What am I thinking? A score? Am I thinking a score? I don't know. I don't know. Possibly. Don't know a Isn't this? Yeah, score might be 20. How much is a score? I think a score is 20. A 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A 20. That's what I'm thinking. All right. Like four score. So you, you jumped two score. Seven years ago. Mm-hmm. I jumped two score. Okay, everybody. Episode 105. Thanks so much for hanging out with us and checking out the show. If you'd like show notes for this episode, you can find them at northmeetsouth.audio slash 105. Hit us up on Twitter. At Jacob Bennett, at Michael Dorinda, or at North Meets or, or at North South Audio. And if you'd rate us up in your podcatcher of choice, that would be amazing. Thank you so much. Also, Michael, every single time our show outros, we play all the outro music. Yeah, I've noticed that. All of it. Yeah. <laughs> it goes, I, I, I listened to it the other day. I'm like, Gee, this it's is like five minutes. This is long. going. This shouldn't. I'll, yeah, I'll fix exactly. that. I'll it's fix that on this like, episode. I've, okay. I probably copied the wrong thing. I mean, because it used to I, mean, fade. I do like it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like the outro music. Mm-hmm. You know, it's good, but it's not that good. It's, <laughs> it's, good. it's not five minutes good. <laughs> <laughs> it's not five minutes good, no. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye, all.
You say potato, and I say potato. You say tomato, and I say tomato. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Let's go. Jimmy, what's up?